AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host, Bar Kelly, brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldis.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Our guest today is Noah Gift. Noah is the founder of Pragmatic AI Labs, and he's also a lecturer at UC Davis. Welcome to the show, Noah. Hi, nice to meet you. Noah, tell us a little bit about your background and how you actually got interested in machine learning and AI. So my background uh, is a little bit unusual in that I was originally working at Caltech when I first um, got uh, it, it started in the industry, and when I was at Caltech, it was the AI winter still, this is about 2000, and a lot of the people that I was friends with um, happened to be um, PhD students or neuroscientists, um, and I just it's a very small community. We would play ultimate frisbee at lunch and and just have you know really unusual conversations. I got to learn Python while I was there, just through really through peer pressure. I mean, it was just and that's what one of the great things about having a really small community like that. And then fast forward today, to today, and many of those people are actually quite a big deal in the the AI field. Um, I, I did work for Dr. David Baltimore, who was um, the president of Caltech, and at the time he, I think he won, he got a Nobel Prize in, in his 30s, which is also very unusual. Um, <laughs> so there's just like, unusual. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so there's a lot of a lot of like you know really. Uh, that had a pretty big impact, I, I think, in terms of, of uh, being interested in AI because neuroscience at the time, a lot of, in a way, it was, it was AI was dead except for those people. And one of my really good friends at the time who's since passed away was this guy named uh, Dr. Uh, Joseph Bogan. Uh, he had done the first hemispherectomy, which was they, they, back when they did hemispherectomies, which is removing half of the brain. It was a kind of a last-ditch effort to stop really bad epileptic seizures, and and so he he had some uh, you know really interesting thoughts about the origins of consciousness, and that's why he was involved with uh, Christoph Koch's lab, and so there there was neural networks were something that that I had been familiar with you know before I guess they were really that commonly talked about. It, and that that really was the, maybe the, the kindling of, of of my interest in in AI machine learning. Okay, great. So you, you came from a nice ecosystem as well, and it kind of it's really kind of flourished. Tell us a little bit about uh, the stuff that you did with Score Sports and how you kind of you got involved with kind of uh, prediction sports and kind of social media engagement. And because again, that's a pretty fascinating area, but not many people are, are particularly interested uh, in it. Years ago, how, what kind of gave you that foresight to, to get into it? So uh, when I joined Score Sports, this was I think 2013 was, and really I was, we'll just call it like the first technical employee or you know one of the first technical employees, and I was hired as a CTO, and we had some experiments before that, but there, there really there was not a 
any established technology. And so I worked with a small team of people and we built a um, fantasy app and a, and a sports social network over the course of about a year. So we we're, you know, the cl- typical thing you would do in the Bay Area, you know, MVP, launch it, you know, try to build some disruptive technology. At a high level, we were trying to be the um, Facebook of sports, right? So, so really carve out um, sports from social media. And if you look at today, like some of the things that have happened with Facebook, uh, I, I, you know, maybe it would, people would have been much more receptive to that in that a lot of Facebook has political, you know, just, and there's some people that just want to talk about sports. They don't sure. want any of that. Yeah. Um, so really that was, that, that was the emphasis, but in order to, to grow to that, to, to the next level, what we had to do was we had to figure out ways to do growth hacking. And so, um, one of the, the ace cards we had was we had, um, an American football player, uh, called Brett Favre, who, uh, was, you know, one of the top quarterbacks of all time. He was on our board and he was, he was actually posting content and he was really the big first big celebrity. And, and we saw that there was this, there was like a wave throughout social media when he would post. So he would post something on Facebook or Twitter and then it would have this big repercussion on our site. That was our, you know, the thought process was, well, let's see if we can, we can find other people like that and then capture those signals and then turn that into a way of getting exponential growth. Yeah, I, I even, again, I'm, I'm based in Dublin and Ireland, but even me from afar could see how popular that guy was. And it, it like, even in, I remember seeing him on the movie or something about Mary. I'm thinking, what's this guy doing in that, right? So uh, he, was, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was pretty much everywhere. So you, you must have been very impressed with what Conor McGregor's been doing and how he's been actually able to build that up and uh, kind of the, 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 what he's brought to uh, the UFC and all his different kind of dealings. Yeah, so so that's another very there's some unusual and very interesting stories that we had at score. So I would say we we pretty much discovered Conor McGregor in a way. I, I mean, he 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 obviously was going to do what he what he did, you know, and, and become a a legend in mixed martial arts. But in terms of social media, we we really did in a way discover that he was a hidden gem because we looked at these signals and we saw that his fan base was just rabid. So we, we, we saw that there was a very unusual pattern. So he had extremely high relative engagement. And so at the time when we first partnered with Conor McGregor, um, you know, he would post something on our platform and just the engagement was incredible. And, and it was, I, I, and I've said this in a couple other talks, but I mean, it was something very minor at the time. Like, you know, maybe he would get 50 likes, right? Which, you know, that's, that's not what you would expect from somebody at his level, right? He he, you know, he he he's at the global stage now. But at the time, this is only several years ago. He said, and and what one of the things that we discovered was he really was, I would say, like a, a blueprint for success. Like, and that we 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 saw that there these people that had this really you know localized or 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 very highly engaged audience. If we could partner with those people, and then since then, I mean, if, if you look at the engagement he has on social media, it's just incredible. Yeah, it's um, completely insane. And he he's he's it's surprising because he's now gone from being very very niche to just becoming like the rock in terms of so many different people uh, kind of bought into what he's doing or interested in his story, good, bad, or indifferent. And it just kind of it, and it brings the dollars right because everyone um, look like him or hate him are kind of interested in his story right and that, that's uh, uh, interesting for all different media 
Well, and, and I, th- I think there's a there's a big takeaway. So so we we used he was one of the signals we used in in creating this exponential growth pattern um, that we were able to predict with machine learning. And and the the really the, the the things that we noticed the signals that we captured were we looked at Twitter engagement, um, relative engagement, right? So so not like how many followers you have, but in relative terms, what percentage of your audience engages with your post? And then also Wikipedia is another one that's very interesting. If you look at Wikipedia, like like in, in, compared to other people, how many people are viewing your your site, right? Like how, how many how many people are, are looking at the Conor McGregor page? And, and we fed all those in to create this prediction model. And and I think today I think there's some there's some lessons there in, in that um, you know th- there's a lot of interest now in in um, you know social influencers and and. I think there are people that are getting ripped off because they're 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 engaging with people with let's say they have a large large audience, but they're not looking at the real signal, which is uh, are people engaged? Yeah, of course, because that's the thing about websites that go viral. You can get like tens of thousands of millions to go on the websites, but unless they're actually engaging in any of the products, that is just literally water. <clears throat> just going through a bucket with a big hole in it because it it's actually irrelevant. Uh, it's actually trying to get them hooked or engaged to, to do it. It's, 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 pretty, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. They don't always, they don't always correlate. Uh, and so then you moved on to Pragmatic AI Labs. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind that and what was the kind of problem you were looking to solve? So like many startups in the Bay Area, uh, Scorch Boards just ultimately fizzled out and there, 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 was, a, there was a chance at glory, but... For whatever reason, um, you know, just things happened, didn't, didn't work out. After that, I decided that I wanted to do full-time consulting and writing. Um, and so, what I've done uh, since then, for the last let's say two and a half years, is as I've um, done you know, either CTO or like data scientist type consulting to startups. So anything from um, you know building a jobs framework for virtual reality or you know helping someone create their first machine learning pipeline um, those are the kind of things that that I've been focused on and what's what's great about doing it from a consulting level is that I get to work on a lot of different projects and 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 focus more on really staying on the cutting edge with technology versus when when you're when, at least at the time when I was when I was he- heavily involved in the just one company there's other things that you have to do yeah and i think there's always the the opportunity that when you work in consultancy that you can guess um so many different inspirations different ideas you're never going to be siloed because you're kind of working on the same project same people all the time so you get so much creativity and it's it's like when i do the podcasts and i run the meetups Everyone's got sorts of different perspective on things. You're, you're, you're talking to someone who's got a completely different idea or a problem they're looking to solve. So was that kind of uh, kind of tying into the next question? Was that kind of coming into how the uh, the book came about and how or you're kind of doing that uh, in parallel to the consulting? Because you, you mentioned that you had a purposeful uh, kind of focus on trying to become more of a writer and kind of share your story because it's it's a pretty challenging thing to do both things uh, together. Everyone, everyone's got a book in them. They say very few. People People actually go out and do it, right? Yeah. This, so this is the second book that I've written, and um, the first one I wrote was about ten years ago, and it was basically we'll, we'll just call it like um, DevOps, right? Like Python DevOps. And 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 this this one, w- one of the reasons why I was interested in writing it was that some of the experience I had uh, as CTO or VP of engineering in the Bay Area, and also some of the experience I've had in this emerging 
data science, machine learning um, trend. And so when I was at SCORE, this is 2013, still, you know, there, there was a lot of unknowns about machine learning and production. And even today, there's still a lot of unknowns about machine learning and production. And so really the, 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 what my mindset is in writing this book was, was to try to demystify not the things that everyone else is talking about, about, you know, which algorithm do I use and like, how do I do hyperparameter tuning with deep learning? And there, there's an unlimited source of information on that. But this is more of, okay, here's a real problem. How do you solve it with machine learning? And then how do you actually get into production and maintain it? Yeah, and the reality is, is there's so much talk about the other side of it. But the reality is, is how is it going to help people day to day? And what solutions are we going to solve to make people's lives uh, better and that to me is this the really important aspect of it and have you kind of come across any things within deep learning or machine learning where people are genuinely getting a lot of benefits from because there's obviously the hype cycle and there's the fear that the hype will never be realized what's your what's your kind of take on that yeah I do I definitely have an opinion on this so so on one hand the deep learning trend in particular is interesting in that I, ha- I would I would definitely not put myself even close to the level of you know some of the people that are experts in deep learning like um, uh, you know we, we, there's a, a bunch of them it, but there 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 is what's interesting about it is that is that there's a statistical approach that that you could look at with machine learning right where there are many things or you could call data science and statistics they are very interchangeable. And, and, it, and it's very, it can be very controversial and political, especially in university settings where people get, you know, upset about what's data science, what's statistics, what's machine learning. But, but in general, they're all the deep learning stuff. My opinion of it is just a technique, right? So it, it, there's no guarantee that that technique will even be successful. It's like saying, you know, I have um, uh, logistic regression and it will always solve all problems. I'm, I'm not saying that people are saying this, but, but it's, it, there's no guarantee that deep learning it will solve, you know, a solution. It's just just like, you know, random forest or logistic regression or, you know, it's, it's just an algorithm, right? I mean, so I think my my personal opinion about the deep learning stuff is is it's, it's because I I have been more involved in it before deep learning was the only way to do, you know, prediction. That's like there there are people, for example, I think now that they completely equate deep learning with data science like that's like oh well you just just do tensorflow it's like well actually that there's and again there's nothing wrong with it but there's a whole lot you can do with never touching deep learning ever and and so i i think that i'm not necessarily worried that there'll be a hype cycle that that will blow up or something i think that the deep learning hype cycle there's a possibility that that could blow up. I mean, that, that, but, but I think that are, is there a need for doing predictions? Uh, is there a need for doing data science? Is there a need for doing machine learning? And is it going to be around forever? I would say yes. I, I think just the combination of all the things that are happening, like cloud computing, the advances that are, that are happening every six months from the major cloud providers, just some of the accidents that have happened, like Python, it just accidentally became the de facto language for um, data science. Like, there's all these accidents, like the the, the Jupyter notebooks, like the, these these no. There's all these things that I think have 
created this ecosystem that is definitely will not go away. And, and, and it, but it could be different than what people expect. Do, do I think that people are going to be doing deep learning exclusively and that's what data science will be? Uh, no. I, I, th- I think that that's just going to be one of many techniques people use. What I, what I think actually in this, this, it kind of goes into the predicting the future a little bit is that, is that I think that some of, in a way, again, these are, I could be totally wrong. These are just my hunches that, that some of the really advanced, uh, deep learning, advanced machine learning techniques are going to be completely, um, commoditized. And what's going to happen is that cloud providers like AWS, Google, they're going to write software packages and they're already doing this that make it irrelevant to have a PhD in deep learning. What, or, you know, what, what will happen is that you can uh, run SageMaker and it will automatically pick their hyperparameter tuning. You don't really even completely need to be an expert on that. You should, you should know something. Um, and, and what I think will happen is the, you know, just like other industries where you needed to have, you know, this really PhD level expertise and there's a brief period of time where that's really important. Uh, I think, sure, that will still exist, but it's not going to be like right now there's this, you know, like a, they, people are constantly looking for PhD level deep learning. My, I don't think that's going to be the, the trend for the next five years. Okay. What I think the trend will be is that it will be flattened and that, that, that there'll be a, a huge a section of people even people you wouldn't expect, like product managers, sales, they're going to be doing types of data science and types of machine learning, and that that it will be more democratized versus an elite type of um, skill. Yeah, because it's a pretty expensive uh, decision if you're going to create a data science team, right? Because you need to look at the return of investment you're going to get from it and then look at the journey you need to go and do you actually have the volume of data to, to warrant to try to do it. So it's there's a lot of different decisions uh, to make. The stuff that Microsoft, Amazon and Google have been bringing out recently is pretty exciting and obviously AI on the edge. There, there's so many different things uh, happening. I, I won't see logistics, uh, drug, drug discovery as something that AI seems to be really kind of adding some advances to. Uh, have you got any other kind of thoughts that you kind of see on that day to day? I mean, part of what I'm doing, consulting, writing, and I, and I have more books and I have video series, like all this stuff, like my, my complete focus is is on this, and the, and the title of the company is the same as Pragmatic, is, is basically not tomorrow, but today, what can you do that's helpful? And, and, I, and I think that will be, I do think that's the future is that, is that every single industry, you know, it could be a sales organization, it could be like human resources, is that, that, that uh, machine learning and AI will actually just become part of what people do. And it just like, you know, people are using Excel spreadsheets or using, you know, uh, some kind of cloud-based email server. It, it's just going to be part of everybody's workflow. So I, that's that's the future I see is a, is a is a less at least in the short term I, I see a less like Blade Runner kind of thing where where there's like all this like really crazy stuff. What I, what I see is that there there's going to be a lot of things that normal people will use that will really help their life. And Noah Giff, founder of Pragmatic AI Labs and lecturer at UC Davis, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. AI Action is brought to you by Aldus International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aldus offer an exec search program. Aldus can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. 
With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. For more information, contact mark at aldus.com. Get the Aldus Advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all us members. And don't forget our AI in Action podcast. Each week, we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career, and more. Become an Aldus member and get the Aldus advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldus.com. That's www.aldus.com. Aldus International, empowering through AI.